Titius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Articus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epirus, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Shall we pray? O sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth, we come before you and we gather with your people to make much of who you are. Father, you are gracious, not giving us what we deserve, but giving, lavish, lavishing us with your love. Father, you are a steadfast God. Your promises are true. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, you're a God whose love is unconditional. You know us. You know our name. You know our words. You know our past. You know our future. You know our thoughts and our hearts. There is nothing that is hidden from us, and you choose to love us anyway. Father, we confess though we, like sheep, have gone astray. We are so prone to wander. We are distracted by the things of this world, materialism and consumerism and greed and the lust of the eyes and the flesh. And we so easily are, are distracted from the all-sufficient, infinite joy that we have in you and we trade it for trinkets that are fool's gold. But Father, we confess you are our only hope in life and death. All that we have is in you because you are our shepherd. We shall, we have nothing that we, we need. Father, we thank you that you are a good father who cares for your children when the storms of life rage, when the kingdoms and kings plot, they plot in vain, for we hide ourselves in the shadow of your wings. We hide behind your shield, for you are a God who fights for your people. You are a mighty warrior. And Father, when we go astray, it is you who pursues us and brings us back to the safety 
of the sheep. Father, thank you. And Father, we prayed this morning. We pray for our brothers and sisters who could not be here. For whatever reason, I pray that you would just uh, meet their needs, whether it be traveling, whether it be um, inability because of health. May it, if it is a, a sin issue, I pray that that will be exposed so they can be reconciled with your people. Father, I pray for the needs that we have this week in our jobs, in our families, in our own lives and health. I pray that in all of those things, we will not look to ourselves to provide our needs, but we will look to the Father in heaven who gives good gifts to his children, who provides what we need when we need it in the amount that we need. Father, teach us to trust you and give us grace to believe. Father, I pray as we look at your word that you will um, lay on us your spirit in a sense of and passion to do the work of the ministry, to bring the gospel to our homes, our work, our neighborhoods, and to the nations. That where worship does not exist, we may bring it and pray and send those to bring your name to the nations. Father, inhabit the praises of your people, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We um, have come to the final sermon in the book of Colossians. And I know last week we just started chapter 4, but we've gotten to the final part, the final 10 or so uh, verses, where Paul goes down a list of all the people that have played a part and a role in his ministry. And often when we read through books like this, we read the meat and potatoes of the doctrine and we uh, lap up the application. And when we get to all these names, as Jerry Wade uh, found out and and uh, and he apparently is the uh, deacon in the, with the least of my grace because he had to read all the names. Um, we get to the names and to the greetings and things like this. We tend to gloss over or speed through them because they really don't have any significant or application, we think, to our lives. But when we read through books like Colossians, we realize the book of Colossians is not just a theological uh, treatise that was written generations ago, and, but it's a real letter to real people. And we realize those real people were just like us living and every day trying to provide for their needs, living and working, and they had relationships, and they had struggles, and they had difficulties. Some were faithful, and some were unfaithful. Some followed Jesus, and some wandered off the path. And, if it, and we know that we are the same thing. As the hymn writer says, we have hearts that are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it prone to leave the God we love. And as we come across this few 10, 11 verses, we realize these are real people in a real time, in a real place, just as we are and we assemble here this morning. 
And I want you to realize that the work of the ministry is not reserved for the apostles and then passed down for the elders and for the pastors to do the work of the ministry, thinking, oh, let the pastor do that. He's he's been called into the ministry. And actually, in fact, brothers and sisters, if you are united to Christ by faith, we're all in the ministry. We're all living and working. Some of us, myself and Roland, derive our paycheck from our work, and others of you derive your paycheck elsewhere, but we all together link arms as brothers and sisters as a part of the body of Christ to do the work of the gospel, the work of the ministry. And we realize as we look at these words this morning that the work of the gospel ministry is accomplished in big and small ways. Names that we know like Paul and Timothy, And names that we really don't know, people like Nympha and Justice, people that on this side of eternity we won't know the impact that they had, but we realize they did the work of ministry. So with that saying, we turn and say, how do we do the work of the ministry? And as just to really go out with a bang, instead of my typical three points, I'm going to do five today. Okay, woo, this is, this is serious, folks. Uh, for those of us, uh, those of you visiting who are brethren, um, this is a big deal when a Baptist breaks out of the three points in a poem and goes with five points. But uh, we see this as the text goes through, we see the work of the ministry is done with partnerships. The work of the ministry is done by doing the work of comfort, by prayer. Uh, the work of the ministry is also done by fellowship. And then also finally, as Paul wraps up his final words to these people that on this side of eternity he would probably never see again, the work of remembrance. We are called all throughout Scripture to remember. So with that being said, we look at our first point, um, the partnership that we have in the Gospel in verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you about my activities, Paul's writes. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Paul, as he writes, longs to be and to join these believers in Colossae. Most likely he has not met them in person, but he knows of them because of the work of Tychicus and Epaphras and Onesimus who have brought reports of the faith and the hope and the love that this church has. But Paul is prevented from visiting them and he's prevented because of the chains that hold them, the literal chains that bind him. And therefore he sends Tychicus And you notice when he describes Tychicus, Tychicus, as far as we know, was an ordinary person. But he describes him in an extraordinary way. He says, Tychicus is a beloved brother. He is a fellow Christian. He is a cherished member of the family of God. And Tychicus is a a faithful minister. He is doing the ministry of the gospel, not like Paul, not like Timothy, but he is a part of the body of Christ, accomplishing and following their Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is working in his church 
through the faithful ministry of Tychicus. And then we also see that he was a faithful servant. The Lord Jesus Christ is Tychicus's master, and he's doing his work. He's obeying his Lord. Tychicus was the courier. He was the FedEx guy that delivers the package of the book of Colossians. Colossians was a letter that was written, and Paul, because he could not go himself, he entrusted Tychicus with this letter and said, bring this to Colossae. But it wasn't just Tychicus being the courier, the delivery man of this letter. Tychicus was responsible for as well as making sure that this letter was heard and loved and applied in their lives. Flip back and keep your finger there. Go back to chapter 1. I'm sorry, nope. Chapter 3, verse 11. Paul is writing the words, writing from from, uh, prison, the identity that these Colossians have in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 11. He said, here there is no no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. All the identities and, and pigeonholes that the world puts on people don't exist in Christ. Christ is all and in all. All people belong to Christ who have been united to Him by faith. And it was taking His job to take what Paul had taught the identity that we belong to Jesus and make sure that the people who are reading this verse understands. Because it's important to remember that Tychicus was not only the courier for the book of Colossians, but in his hand he held another letter. And that letter was the book of Philemon. Philemon was a runaway slave who left Colossae as an unbeliever by the sovereignty of God, stumbled across Paul in prison and came to know Christ and put his faith in Christ. And Paul urged him to go home and make things right with Philemon. But not make things right by the order of the world, slave and free and master and servant, but that he would make things right by uh, the identity that we have in Christ. That Christ, he is no longer a slave and a servant, but he is a brother to Philemon. And Onesimus is a brother to his former master. Those identity has been broken apart. Tychicus was a necessary partner of Paul. Paul taught and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit and he went on his missionary journeys, but Tychicus was an essential partner to the gospel that ensured that the gospel would be applied in Colossae. Ocean Park, gospel ministry is not reserved for the pulpit and the pastor's study, but gospel ministry extends to the pews and to the body of Christ. Everyone who is united in Christ is called to receive and to support and further the proclamation of the gospel. Every one of you are couriers of the gospel, serving Christ by serving his body. We're to be loving brothers and sisters by investing in the lives of our family in Christ and affecting and influencing and pushing our brothers and sisters towards Christlikeness. We're to be faithful ministers of the gospel, devoting ourselves by investing ourselves in the lives of of the family of God. And we're to be servants. 
We belong to Jesus. He is our Lord and Master, and there is nothing. Because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is nothing that our Master cannot ask us to do as we are faithful couriers of the Gospel at our homes, to our children and our spouse, and our works with our co-workers who are our friends and our co-workers who are antagonistic towards our faith, and then to our friends and neighbors at the park, at the Little League games. And as we go throughout our lives, we are couriers of the Gospel as we bring the Gospel to those around them. Brothers and sisters, Ocean Park, we are all ministers of the Gospel, partnering to make the Gospel known because the Gospel ministry, the work of Gospel ministry, is accomplished in big and small ways. Not only are we partners of the Gospel, but we are called to do the ministry of the Gospel by bringing comfort. Notice verse 10 and 11 of Colossians 4. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. As Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who you received instructions, if he comes to you, comfort or welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have, all, they have been a comfort to me. We're given passing mentions of the men and women who partnered with Paul in the work of the gospel. In verse 10 and verse 11, Paul mentions three Jewish men who have brought him great comfort. Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, who is called Justice. Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner, he says. Whether that be he actually is a fellow prisoner in chains alongside him, or he has so associated himself and put his life at risk that he is bringing and caring for Paul while he is in chains. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, when there was the great riot in Ephesus where they for hours shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, it was Aristarchus for the sake of the gospel and his allegiance to Christ who was arrested. Now he finds himself as a fellow prisoner with Paul. And then you have Mark who was also a companion of Paul. And the gospel, or excuse me, the book of Acts also recalls who this Mark was. We also know him as John Mark. Some of you might know him because the second uh, gospel bears his name. But there was uh, a dispute that happened, and Mark, in one of the journeys, had, had left and gone home. And there was a dispute between uh, Paul and, and Barnabas about whether or not to take him again and fear that he would, he would uh, uh, bounce out on them again. But you can see in the words that Paul's write, the comfort that Mark brings him in chains now that there has been reconciliation that has happened. And then we see the last one, Jesus who is called Justice. And apart from these few words, he brought us, they all brought us comfort. That is all we know about uh, the one they called Justice. When Paul needed encouragement, when he needed comfort in the gospel, in his faithfulness to Christ, though he was in chains, these men were a great source of refreshment and encouragement and compassion. The ministry that Paul did as the great apostle who wrote 13 books of the New Testament in part was fueled by the comfort that he received from these three ordinary men. We don't know how they brought comfort, but we know that these men had all the rights of the religious uh, Judaism and the circumcision group. They had all the rights to be able to do that, but they laid down those rights to be able to minister to a man who is in chains and put their lives at risk 
because they were not serving Paul, but because they were serving Christ. It's this very comfort that the body of Christ brings to one another that the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 talks about. For you, this little church that has gone through a great difficulty in Hebrews, you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and abiding one. I've never, I've been to prison, but um, only as a visitor. I remember in Indiana, our basketball team went to the um, maximum security prison to play basketball. And we were a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and we were scared out of our mind after we had been locked in a series of seven rooms and then brought there with snipers and dogs and we were intimidated and then we went into the gym and you had all the groups of guys that were just muscle heads and working out all the time and we're like, holy cow, we're gonna die. And uh, they, were, they were, honestly, they were kind and gracious and w- just really excited to just beat our tails in basketball, and they did. Um, but it was, uh, we go in there, they were working out and eating in, in prison, uh, though it's not fun nowadays by any means, and I advise you, no, don't go there. Um, but it wasn't the accommodations that they had. Prison in the first century was often um, uh, a deprivation of basic rights like food and clothing, and in miserable conditions that those who brought food and comfort and clothing and, uh, to the prisoners would um, put their lives at risk. They put their lives at risk to bring comfort to a man who was in chains, who really at this point in Rome could do no earthly benefit for them, but he was a minister of the gospel, which was their greatest need, and they were willing to lay aside their physical needs and their physical comforts to be able to bring him comfort that he could do the work of the ministry, and that was their work of the ministry. Those who are committed to the work of the gospel ministry commit to comfort our brothers and sisters in big and small ways. Gospel ministry is both serving your, the body of Christ in ways that are known and ways that are unknown. We all follow the example or should be following or devoting ourselves to the example of Aristarchus and Mark and Justice by laying aside our comforts to comfort our brothers and sisters in distress, meeting their needs when those people are unable, encouraging when those when people are downtrodden befriending those that are lonely protecting the vulnerable brothers and sisters we are all ministers of the gospel called to bring comfort to our brothers and sisters in christ because the gospel the work of gospel ministry is accomplished in big and small ways We're called to a partner with those in ministry. We're called to comfort those in distress. And we're also called to devote ourselves to prayer. Notice verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, he was a Colossian himself, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. It was Epaphras, not Paul, who had a vision for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be planted in the Lycus Valley. It was Epaphras who worked tirelessly to bring that gospel to fruition. 
Earlier in the letter, Paul writes in Colossians 1.7, he said, Epaphras is our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirits. Epaphras loved Jesus. And because of that, he loved the people that belonged to Jesus. That love was most vividly seen in the devotion to prayer that Epaphras had for the body of Christ. He did not wait for things to get desperate. He didn't wait for things to get beyond uh, repair. But he interceded for them consistently and steadfastly and devoted himself to prayer day in and day out for the work of the gospel and for the maturity of the people in Colossians who he loved and shared his life with. But the question is, what did he pray? Notice he said he prayed that they would know and embrace God's will for their life. He said that they may stand mature. Just as a mature tree whose roots are deep into the ground and whose branches are spread wide and strong is able to sustain itself and stand strong in the midst of hurricane-forced winds and it is the young saplings whose roots are not deep that are snapped in half and are ripped up by the roots. Epaphras prays that the Colossians would be mature in Christ that their roots would be deep into the Word of God and they would know the heart and character of God and that they would be able to endure the storms of temptation and oppression that would inevitably blow through their lives. He prayed that they would be mature believers. And he also prayed that they would be fully assured in all the will of God. He would pray that they would have an un shakable confidence in the will of God for their life. They would be like a tree in Psalm 1 that bears its fruit in its season. The fruit of righteousness that comes from a knowledge of Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done, and in response, how those who love the Gospel live a life that is faithful and follows Jesus in all things. And Epaphras prays consistently for these people by name that they would know God and live out His, his commandments. They would be faithful ministers of the Gospel. It wasn't a passing fancy of Epaphras, but it was a steadfast commitment that drove him to his knees. Ocean Park, I ask you this. Are you praying for your fellow believers? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters by name? That you go to the throne of grace and you cling steadfastly and you say, please give your grace to my brother. Give your mercy to my sister. Are you praying that they would know God and live a life that reflects His holiness, His goodness, and His righteousness? Do you go before the throne of grace and and pray steadfastly that they would be like Jesus in their thoughts, in their words, and their deeds? Ocean Park, Grace Brethren, we are all ministers of the Gospel who are called to earnestly pray for the maturity and the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters because the work of gospel ministry is accomplished in big and small ways. 
We're called to partner with one another for the gospel. We're called to comfort one another. We're called to pray for one another. And we're also called to fellowship with one another. Verses 14 and 15. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in our house. Apostle Paul went on three missionary journeys over his ministry. Journeys that spanned the Mediterranean and covered over 10,000 miles. Yet every sermon that he preached and every step that he did on every mile, he never walked alone. God led him by his spirit and he was, he was brought aside by the companions of faithful men and women and many hosts that um, welcomed him and showed hospitality in their homes. Jerry Bridges, in the book that we are just finishing up, writes this about fellowship, koinonia, if you will. Fellowship is the sharing of a common life with one another, other believers. It is a partnership in the promotion of the gospel. See, there's our word, partnership. It looks like I actually knew what I was doing when I was putting this together. By sharing what God is teaching each other um, throughout the Scriptures and whatever we have, both spiritual and ministry material resources. The work of the ministry is fellowship. And um, Steve or Chris, could you put me back onto the slide after that quote? Um, a little squirrely up here. Uh, and what happened, these, these verses, as we see, though very brief, um, what they do is they give us a snapshot of the fellowship that was happening in the New Testament. And these, these names um, give us an idea of two ways that fellowship should encourage us and one way that fellowship should um, warn us. Notice the first name he does. He says Luke. Luke, as we come to find out, was author of 27% of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. And he remembers, and it, and it shows us as he sends the greetings of Luke, how precious gospel ministry is. And having partners that would come along with us, go ahead to the blank one, and come along with us and be able to encourage us and challenge us and stretch us. Can you imagine what sitting on one of those gospel uh, missionary journeys, sitting next to Paul, or sitting between Paul and Luke, who wrote over 50% of the New Testament. Imagine their conversations. How great would that be just to sit there and soak it up? Two men who love the Lord and knew the Lord and love, and, and love the gospel just to sit and soak that up. What I wouldn't give to eavesdrop on those conversations and to see how the gospel impacted their lives and listen to their stories. Brothers and sisters, we need companions on this journey who will um, stir us towards love and good works and challenge us and, and push us towards deeper things in doctrine and living lives that reflect the grace and mercy of our God. We see Paul, and then we see this lady. We believe it's a lady. Some say it was a man. Uh, Nympha, her name was. Nympha is a woman that we really we know nothing about except for this, this line. The fact that what she did, she opened her home for the sake of the gospel. In the first few centuries of church, there were no church buildings. There were no sanctuaries. And what would happen is um, private citizens would open up their homes, both large and small, to, the, to be able to facilitate worship. 
and teaching. And without Nympha's generosity and commitment to supporting the work of the gospel that was taught by Paul, that was delivered by Tychicus, that was earnestly prayed for by Epaphras, the work of the gospel would not have been able to happen. She simply opened her home to the gospel. She was a faithful minister of the gospel by, in her hospitality. We're encouraged by Luke and we're <clears throat> encouraged by Demas, I mean, excuse me, by Luke and by Nympha. But we come across another name, a third name that should give us pause and give us warning. His name is Demas. <clears throat> Demas reminds us how carefully we need to protect our fellowship from the dangers of the outside and from the dangers within. For even Paul, the great apostle, who wrote much of the New Testament, 13 books, his fellowship with his believers was not exempt from the uh, temptations of the world. Demons, Demas is mentioned here in Colossians in, in, in greeting, and he's also mentioned in Philemon. And Demas was a partner with Paul. But we see four years after this book was written, these tragic words in 2 Timothy, it says, For Demas in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We see how quickly, how sweet fellowship between brothers can be uh, poisoned and tainted by uh, the dangers within and the dangers without, the temptations and the oppressions that we come across. We don't know the full story. We know that Demas left Paul. We pray that he did not leave Christ. But we realize that in Demas' example that we need to protect ourselves and protect our fellowship and cherish it in our communities because the enemy will stop at nothing to isolate people and bring them like a coal is removed from a, a, a pile of fire and it is slowly and quiet and snuffed out. The enemy will do that and lure us away from the protection of the sheepfold. If Paul the Apostle was not exempt from those struggles, we, why should we think we would be? Ocean Park, the joy of sharing life together while we are, uh, share the spiritual and material blessings of God with our brothers and sisters is an infinite blessing that we should cherish and cultivate and seek and protect because we are all ministers of the gospel. And we need that fellowship, that sharing of um, our teachings and our possessions that the Lord has given us because the work of the gospel is accomplished in big ways and in small ways. We're called to partner with one another. We're called to comfort one another. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to um, cultivate fellowship with one another, but we're also called to remember. Time and time again throughout Scripture, the commandment is remember, remember, remember. Paul writes in the closing words to the Colossians, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read among the church in Laodiceans. And see also that you read the letter from Laodicea and see Eric, um, see Jerry, I, I messed, the, messed it up too, Eric, um, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains and grace be with you. All throughout the book, the letter to the Colossians, Paul is writing that church would grow to maturity. To that end, he gives these final words, remember. Remember the value of the gospel and remember the cost of the gospel. 
Throughout Paul's letters, he's talking about the supremacy of Christ, the glory of Christ, the work of Christ by devoting themselves to reading the Word of God together. The message of Christ's Gospel is too important to allow it to be hidden away or forgotten on a shelf. It must be shared and it must be remembered. In the first century, the Bibles were not these neat little one-volume collections that were bound together and written on onion skin that could be carried under their arms. The books of the Bible were often stored in separate places. Some of the Old Testament was in the, in the temples and in the, in the synagogues later on. And then these letters were beginning to be circulated by the church. And the epistles of the New Testament, books like Romans and Colossians, the letters of John and Peter and Hebrews, were letters written by an apostle to a specific church in a specific, easy for me to say, specific city. These letters would be copied and they'd be shared with the believers and say, hey, we got a letter here, we'll give it to you. And they exchanged these letters from the apostles. Notice Paul gives them these instructions that the instructors of the apostles' teaching which they devoted themselves was to be pursued and read and wrote and given to neighboring cities. In verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of Laodicea and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. We don't know specifically what that letter is. Some people believe that letter has been lost. Some people believe it's the book of Ephesians uh, because Ephesians was there. Why do we need to do this? Why do we share? Why do we read? Why do we commit ourselves? Because without these letters, these words of these apostles that the Holy Spirit inspired, we would forget the value of Christ. We need to be intentional, brothers and sisters, to learn and devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles and to remember their teaching because slothfulness in seeking out the Word of God produces weak, malnourished, and vulnerable Christians. Oceanbrook, we live in a world that's full of distractions. We have a digital wasteland on the internet that is full of pictures and stories and videos that will consume us and overwhelm us before we even realize how much time we have wasted on silly, fleeting fancies. Our screens produce an endless supply of binge-worthy productions that consume us and overwhelm us. They distract us, they amuse us, and they entertain us. Yet the most frightening aspect about our screens is that it causes us to forget. We're so consumed about binging the next episode that we forget about the gospel. We forget the most important things because we're consumed by the most entertaining things. We forget about the most precious possession that we have, the Word of God, our Bible. Our Bible reminds us of God's holiness, His righteousness, and His goodness. Our Bible reminds us of our rebellion, our sinfulness, and our our, um, hopelessness. The Bible reminds us of God's love for those who have rebelled and have wandered away. Our Bible, though, doesn't send us pop-up notifications or endless barrage of meaningless vanities. But brothers and sisters, the, gospel, the Bible is a ladle to drink from the deep, bottomless well of the living waters of our Lord. 
The Bible is a window that allows us to gaze upon the breathtaking breathtaking beauty of God's glory. The Bible is the table where we find the spiritual food that God satisfies our hunger deep within our soul from Himself. Paul knew the sweetness and the value and the worth of the Word of God, and he devoted himself to proclaiming that gospel at all costs. And we see in the final words in verse 18, I, Paul. You can tell most likely that when, as the Colossians read, the um, handwriting was consistent and clean and smooth throughout the letter, and the final verse, verse 18, was choppy and elementary and broken. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul calls them to remember the cost of the gospel, the chains of oppression that literally held his hand. As Paul wrote, it's believed maybe the chains were preventing him from being able to write smoothly and fluidly as he wrote this. Remember my chains. Remember the cost of the gospel. Remember the opposition that the world will throw at you and intimidate you with. Remember the value of Christ. The words were sloppy, but the truth was priceless. The words Paul wrote and he finished were a chain, wrote in his chains were words of prayer and words of eternal significance. Grace be with you. May we always, Ocean Park, Grace Brethren, remember God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. Grace that sought us and bought us with His redeeming grace, redeeming blood. Grace so amazing that it saved a wretch like us. Grace so, uh, grace unmeasured, vast and free that paid for my sins and brought me to life. That clothed me with power to do what is right. Grace that will lead me to heaven where I will see God's face. Brothers and sisters, we must remember, we must be careful to remember the grace of God, or we will forget it in the face of the world's intimidation and disdain and opposition. We will waste our time on frivolous things, things that don't satisfy and are meaningless for eternity all the while when God's grace is clearly pictured. Ocean Park, we are ministers of the gospel, called to help one another remember the value and the cost of the gospel, for the work of the gospel ministry is accomplished in big and small ways. I pray that as we think through Colossians, and as we realize our responsibility, the centrality of Christ in Colossians, that that will start in our lives, in our hearts. For those of you who are believers this morning, that you will see Christ in a deeper, clearer, more vibrant way, and you will repent of your sin. Sins that you didn't even know were there, that were hidden deep in the recesses of your heart, that the Word of God has fleshed out, and that you will let go of those sins, those functional saviors that you treasure and have cling to. Repent of those sins and follow Jesus. Some of you will do that for the first time. 
as you're reading through, you're realizing that um, the gospel is not simply the five minutes at the end of the service. The gospel is not simply um, a, a, um, a sales pitch like Amway. The gospel is what saves you from your sins. The gospel is what making you like Jesus. And the gospel is what will bring you home into the presence of our Lord. And for the first time, you will repent of your sin and turn to Christ. I pray that as we go through that we will see Christ and the value of Him. And then when we repent and turn to Him, we will reorient our life. And there are things that we will let go because they don't make us more like Jesus. And there are things that we will cling to, habits and disciplines that we will say, I need to pray. I need to pray earnestly and I need to pray consistency. I need to learn how to share my faith I need to have brothers and sisters in fellowship. I need to devote myself to worship. I don't need to be at home. I don't need sleep. I need to be around the people of God. I need to hear the Word of God. I need to read the Word of God. I need to study the Word of God. I need to pray. That I may be equipped and mature in Christ and that I may go tell my friends and neighbors the good news of great joy, which is for all people. That whosoever believes, who repents of their sin and believes the promise of God, may not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you.